What if well-being is just the baseline? What if we could lead a life of purpose and pleasure? Welcome to the Leading with Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Gretchen Fox Palmer, and here we will explore this next edge of life and work. Today, I am beyond thrilled to have Dr. Valerie Rain, PhD psychologist, author of Patriarchy Stress Disorder on the podcast. In this episode, we talk about the relationship between pleasure and patriarchy, pleasure and trauma, pleasure and privilege. We really go into so much just juicy, rich information, including how to build capacity for more pleasure in your life. I think you're really going to enjoy this. I definitely did. Here we go. So welcome, Valerie. How are you today? I'm doing fabulous. How are you? I'm doing good. I went and rode my horsey today, so always puts me in a good mood. Mm -hmm. Well, so if I were to introduce you, I would say brilliant woman, amazing friend, magical PhD psychologist, author of Patriarchy Stress Disorder. I believe you coined the term. How do you introduce yourself? That sounds great. That's how I'll introduce myself going forward. <laughs> Is there amazing anything? Woman, amazing friend, etc. etc. So you're happy with that introduction? Very happy. Okay. Well, um, I guess to start off with, I would love you to just share what is patriarchy stress disorder? Women have been oppressed for thousands of years. And now we know from epigenetics that trauma is genetically transmitted. So given that oppression is kind of traumatic and it's been going on for a very long time, what I've described as patriarchy stress disorder is the state of our nervous system, of our subconscious, of our conscious mind, kind of what our system carries from thousands of years of oppression. Wow, that's quite a bit. I hadn't thought about it in such concise terms. So you know the name of this podcast is Leading with Pleasure, which I've got to give you a lot of credit for because you asked me a question one time when we first started hanging out. I think we were going to like schedule a meeting and you said, if it's in your pleasure. <laughs> and that was just such a good question that mm. really had me start asking all the time, is this in my pleasure or yeah. not? And I'd been on a journey with pleasure in a, in a few different ways, but I hadn't kind of, I think layered it into everything the way that I am trying to now. I'm curious what your thoughts are on how patriarchy stress disorder affects pleasure. Yeah, I have many thoughts. (laughs) Well, if we look at um, patriarchy, which is a system of oppression, and like any system of oppression, racism or... um, just ableism, any system of oppression um, that puts, uh, that creates a hierarchy and creates a power differential. 
the purpose of a system of oppression is um, exploitation, is deepening this inequality. So whatever is not serving this purpose is really not allowed under the system. So women's pleasure serves no purpose to patriarchy. It's actually really disruptive and really dangerous. There's a woman who is in touch with how she's feeling, pleasure and the full spectrum of how she's feeling. Uh, She's in touch with her truth. And so sadly, tragically and criminally, patriarchy has been who divorcing women from pleasure through so many, so many means for, for so long that, um, we kind of, um, we, we got so out of practice with pleasure. We got so in the, we, we got bought into the, the paradigm that it's not essential. And even if consciously we're not bought into this paradigm, Sometimes a quick glance at our schedule may reveal that we don't prioritize pleasure. And even the word itself can be triggering. The word itself may uh, create some agitation in the system and uh, create self-talk, anything from, uh, I don't have time for this, or like, this is for somebody like, you know, oh, this is, um, if I go on vacation, I'll have some pleasure. Like, this is not important. I have some important shit to do. To feeling really like um, doing something forbidden. Like, that's not right. Right? When we, when we reach for pleasure. And, uh, and these are all imprints of traumatically internalized patriarchal programming. Wow. There's a couple things that you said there that just really struck me. When I first told Alex that I was going to call this uh, this podcast Leading with Pleasure, he had a visceral response. He bristled. And I noticed his body's reaction. And I was just like, wow, you really reacted to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have a theory in general that pleasure needs a rebrand because so often when people think about pleasure, because I've brought it up a lot, mm-hmm. it's like sex is what comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And while sex, of course, is a form of pleasure, it's an amazing pleasure. The fact that people don't automatically think of the joy they feel when they're tickling a toddler, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and like how pleasurable <laughs> that is and having a great conversation with a friend and you know, a great meal, like how much pleasure has been kind of tainted with um, something that we're not supposed to have. And I think that connects to what you're saying about patriarchy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pleasure is not seen as something productive, right? What is this? And uh, speaking about sex, I, I believe there are like around 40 or, or so, maybe more, uh, drugs on the market for male, uh, sexual dysfunction slash pleasure. And there hasn't been one for women at all. I think there's one either coming in the market or, or, or is, um, you know, 
um, is in the early stages of being introduced. And this is not to say that we need drugs, but this is a reflection of how um, how completely in, in the cultural shadow women's pleasure is, how completely not prioritized it is. And actually, I, I remember uh, hearing the story from the woman behind development of this, um, th- this drug for women, and she fought FDA on it uh, because the FDA said, women, why do women need that? That's actually what they say. Why? Help us. Uh, why do women need pleasure? Why is it essential? So, um, yeah, <laughs> that question doesn't come up <laughs> in the context of um, male pleasure. So there's so much about pleasure that's hiding in plain sight. And to me, I completely agree with you that it it needs a reclamation or a rebrand. Um, pleasure is such an essential radar. It is it is a it is how we know what's right for us. Mm, how we I know love what's that. wrong for us, right? How do we set boundaries if we don't feel pleasure? If we don't allow ourselves to feel on that spectrum, what's pleasurable, what's not? Yes. And I that really ties to that question you asked me about a meeting about, is it in your pleasure? Because it is such a, and I've been the person that's really been able to sense when I'm on my path and when I'm not on my path. And interestingly, for me, I really sense not being on my path is I, uh, it's like an inner friction. It's like um, static electricity inside me that just feels uncomfortable. And then when I am on my path, I, I, I now know that sense is pleasure. It feels like spaciousness mm-hmm. and synchronicity and fluidity. And I think um, being able, if you know anyone listening can really start paying attention to, does it feel good? Does it not feel good? It's such, for, especially for those people that don't really understand what, what does it mean to be on your path? And how do you know? And how do you not know? I think pleasure is probably the best indicator. It's, it's very powerful. Um, and there are a couple of things I want to say about that. Um, where do I begin? To me, being on the path is being on the flow. Yes. And pleasure is a powerful indicator of whether I'm in or out. And when I'm not in the flow and I don't feel pleasure, I've recently gone, as, as you know, through a very challenging uh, time in my life, uh, losses and uh, some physical challenges through, uh, through a trauma from an accident. And for a while there, pleasure was not as accessible to me. And it felt really disorienting, like I lost my guidance. It's really, really painful, really disorienting. And what started to get me back, and this is for everyone listening right now, uh, maybe going through a hard time or wondering how do I even access pleasure? This is how I, I made my way back by focusing and allowing myself to take in tiny, 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 tiny pleasures. And it didn't feel like, oh, big pleasure. And what was throwing me off was because my capacity for pleasure has been so 
uh, so big. And I can talk about cultivating that capacity too, because, you know, that it was quite a reclamation, but I was used to it and I was looking for it. Like, where's my pleasure? Where's my big pleasure? And it wasn't accessible at that time in my life, but small pleasures were still accessible. I could still feel the pleasure in taking a sip of tea. It feels so good, right? It wasn't the big one, it was a small one. But I started making my way back by collecting the breadcrumbs of little, little, little pleasures. Uh, does it give me pleasure to just stretch out um, in bed and just breathe a little bit? A tiny pleasure, right? In all this grief and all this pain, but it's pleasure and it's tiny, but then it begins to grow. It begins to take more or take up more of residence in, in my body. Um, yeah. So I wanted to share that. I'm so thankful that you shared that. I think it's really helpful to teach people how to get there. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I guess, so in my peer conversations program last, this last month, we were focusing on joy and joy is pleasure. And I was, one thing that I think is so cool is, and I have, I think my first podcast episode, I take people through a a little bit of a, a tool to kind of understand about emotional imprinting. One of the things I love that people can do is to be able, once you can like recall a, a feeling of pleasure, then you can remember and feel it in your body. And then I have them, their homework for the next month with joy is to see how long they can sit in joy and expand that feeling. And I think you just gave a really good practice for people to notice the little pleasures. And one thing I've realized too is how much one of my questions for our my conscious leadership um, collective was about how often do they pass up joy? And the question now is how often do you pass up pleasure? Because you can take that sip of tea and not notice the pleasure, Absolutely. right? You can disassociate, you can be paying attention to something else and not not embody and really sense the pleasure. So it's a practice, isn't it? It it, it absolutely is. So there are a couple of things I want to say about about that about pleasure and access to pleasure. To feel pleasure, we must feel relaxed first. And to feel relaxed, we must feel safe. And herein lies an issue that we experience because of all of unprocessed trauma in our systems, including PSD, patriarchy, stress disorder, and so many other layers of intergenerational trauma that we inherited. Think about all the prohibition that our mothers, our grandmothers, etc., had on pleasure. Like if you think about their lives, right? How much could they prioritize pleasure? And we inherited that. And uh, the traumas that we've experienced in our life, um, by which I mean not necessarily a life-threatening experience, which would be capital T trauma, but we've experienced, all of us have, so many instances of lowercase t trauma, which is any experience that made you feel unsafe physically or emotionally and led to creating 
trauma adaptations. Um, and those happen so many times with us growing up and throughout our lives, right? And all of these experiences of feeling unsafe create these trauma adaptations that kind of, um, they're meant to keep us safe, but they also distance us from the direct experience of life. They create this buffering. Um, and this, the more layers of accumulated trauma we carry, and all of us carry a ton, uh, myself included, right? Um, the, the harder it may be to access that safety, that fully embodied safety. It, and it's not that we are going around thinking, oh, I'm unsafe, I'm unsafe, I'm unsafe. But fully dropping into the body, fully experiencing through all of our senses, everything, right? Pleasure and everything. Maybe a taller order. And I remember for me, I had no idea I was not in my body. I had no idea that I didn't feel safe in my body. But I remember the first experience I dropped in, and that happened uh, at the end of a yoga class when I dropped into Savasana. And by grace, I don't know how that happened, but I felt it. I felt relaxed maybe for the first time in my entire life and i was in my 20s at that point i felt relaxed at a level that was a lot deeper than i had ever experienced before i felt safe in my body and an interesting thing was like if you had asked me then oh valerie like do you enjoy sex for example i would have said oh i love sex you know um and i had no idea that i was dissociated all the time Mm-hmm. Like I was having sex. It was an out of body experience. Like, yes, I did feel pleasure, but not in the way I'm able to access it now, having worked through so many layers of trauma. Right. So it, it's, um, and I'm thinking about, um, just the experience of feeling. We're talking about pleasure, but I also want to emphasize that. Our capacity to feel pleasure equals our capacity to feel other things. Everything, um, right? All emotions. And, and rage and joy and connection. I'm thinking of one of our clients who uh, came into our program to, to work on healing from patriarchy, stress disorder, from other layers of trauma. And her goal was, she said, I want to feel something. I want to feel something other than tired. Mm. And from the outside looking in, her life was absolutely amazing. Um, top level executive in the IT world, um, beautiful family, beautiful life, um, great health. Everything is great, right? But she hadn't felt anything but tired. Not wow. really, not truly for years. And like she knew, she knew. And once we started working through the layers that kept her buffering in the state of kind of feeling, but kind of not feeling, her entire life began to transform. Like she felt how toxic the environment at work had been and she quit. 
Mm. They felt how exciting and amazing it would be to start her own business and her big mission of rehumanizing tech and cleaning tech um, up from all the systems of oppression that had been automated into our tech. And she started following that. And now like she is, she's bringing on huge corporate clients and doing amazing work in the world. And she's happy and she's active all the time. Her relationship with her daughters transforming with her husband, with herself. She started feeling, she started feeling so deeply and she felt the grief and the rage and the joy and the pleasure, right? It all goes together. And oftentimes we are buffering because it just doesn't feel safe to feel. And for us to tap into that safety, we need to keep on developing capacity to feel, which is quite, it's a training process. It's a training process, um, stretching that capacity little by little, but not trying to feel, um, trying to feel it all at once would be a mistake. It would be actually counterproductive. So we stretch just like in yoga, a little bit at a time. So feel a little bit of joy, feel a little bit of anger at a time, right? In safe ways. Small doses. In small doses, right? And having that support, um, maybe going there by yourself doesn't feel safe and doesn't feel accessible, but doing it with a, a trusted friend, somebody who can hold that space for you. Um, we do it in community with the work that we do uh, because it just in, increases our capacity many, many fold and increases our safety. Capacity and safety go hand in hand. If we don't have capacity, it's not going to feel safe and we're not going to be able to feel. It's Is that emotional? You're talking about emotional capacity? Yeah. Yeah. But it, it goes hand in hand with our, yeah, emotional capacity, nervous system capacity, right? We can look at it in different ways. Um, so I guess, do you have to heal trauma to have pleasure? Do you have to have already totally healed trauma to feel pleasure? Can you be healing trauma and be experiencing pleasure? Kind of how do you see the correlation yeah. of those two things. Oh yeah, and it's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I don't think we're ever fully healed or ever fully unhealed. It's all on the journey. It's all on the spectrum. What I do know is in my experience and the, ex- and the experience of people we've been privileged to walk this path with uh, of uncovering and healing trauma, every time we uncover and heal a layer we get so much more access to the full spectrum of our healing and it's palpable and it's tangible and we just feel it right away. I wanted and to progressively. I, yeah. I was just going to interject something real yeah. quick that when I'm talking to people from my own 20 plus years of healing and personal development work, when I access pain and release pain, recall a painful memory, any of that stuff. I like to say that there's always a gift on the other side. Yeah. Like I feel like every single time I'm like, oh God, that's painful. And I forgot about that. And oh, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to look at that again. 
And then I allow myself to, and I process it. It's like, there's always a gift, some beautiful understanding or outcome or reconnection or something that happens on the other side of that. So I just wanted to, is that, is that kind of what you mean with the, yeah. 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 We're carving out more and more capacity and feeling anger can be pleasurable too. Feeling grief can be pleasurable too. Like how emotions, this, they're so multi-layered. And they're mixed in together. Sometimes we are um, like the exercise of accessing joy, right? Somebody may be uh, accessing joy and all of a sudden break down into tears because there is sadness, right? Underneath the joy, on top of joy, they're interwoven. And it's not because you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's because we're human, right? And all these experiences are... Um, you know, tied together. That's interesting with the, I was just thinking about someone who shared when I was asking what recall a memory of joy and someone had brought up, um, you know, uh, and that's where I got the tickling their toddler, but they were laying down. They said that when they lay down, their toddler comes and leans over them and like smothers them with kisses. And, you know, they, they connect in that way. And, you know, that deep, deep emotion and connection, it can, it can be kind of heartbreaking too. It's so deep sometimes. And I love yes. that you're really honing in on the complexity of emotion and that it's not just this one thing, but that they're all interwoven. And the other thing is I think people don't, a lot of people don't really understand. And I didn't until I started doing a lot of the work that I do now, but about how that system of compartmentalization, of emotional suppression, which we've all been steeped into, steeped with over our lives, that we're trying to protect ourselves from pain, but that that compartmentalization is like, you know, trying to turn off a faucet or that, of connection so we don't have to feel that pain, but that there's no way to just disconnect one emotion. It's like, there, it's all of them, right? So if you're compartmentalizing and not protecting yourself from feeling pain, then you're also not feeling joy and you're also not feeling pleasure. Absolutely. Right? And then people get stuck in depression. I think um, a misconception about depression is that you're just sad all the time. The truth about depression is that you're numb. You're actually not fully feeling anything. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of sad. That baseline is kind of sad, but it's also you're not fully feeling that sadness. You're not fully feeling that grief. And so it's kind of buffering in the entryway, buffering, but not entering into the space where your emotions live. And when we begin to go there, I recently had this experience. Oh my gosh. And it's humbling because again, if you would have asked me, Oh, Valerie, like, how are you doing feeling your emotions? I would have said, Oh, I am, you know, I'm really feeling my emotions. I was going through some deep grief. Um, you know, I'm crying. And then. I, I had the experience of somebody reflecting to me. It was a team of a horse and a human. And first 
my equine partner reflected to me that I wasn't in my body. I wasn't feeling fully. And the way he did it was by just like, so this moving around, acting quote unquote crazy, um, and just not stopping for a moment to connect. And then my facilitator pulled me out and said, you know, you, you're not there. You're not here. You're not here. You're not feeling. I'm like, what the fuck? How, how am I not feeling? I'm crying all the time. And it's like, well, you're not feeling deeply enough. Like you were kind of, right, buffering. That's what he was reflecting to me. And then I, I, I was like, okay, let me drop in. And what allowed me to drop in deeper was that I was feeling safe. Right? I was feeling safe. I was feeling supported by these two beings, by a human, by a horse. And uh, when I dropped in deeper and I felt really in touch with this rupture, with the pain and it was agonizing for a moment to feel like yeah it it, it it's real like it, it it's really painful but the moment i allowed myself to feel the reality of it the agonizing reality of it things began to shift and the horse came around to me and started like kissing me on the on the forehead and the head being all mm. so connected and i i was connected to me and then everything big began to shift and and even returning back from that experience i started to feel the waves of that raw grief passing and the way of raw joy and connection and pleasure started coming in so there's always deeper to go and i just want to say if you feel stuck in any emotion maybe you are angry like chronically angry you're not actually feeling anger. I know you might want to take my head off uh, upon hearing that, but you're not feeling anger. You're stuck. You're stuck in not feeling. You have that baseline of maybe irritation, annoyance, maybe even like diluted ra rage, but you're not feeling deeply enough because the lifespan of an emotion is the average of 90 seconds, 90 fucking seconds when we're fully feeling it and we're not buffering and we're not stuck spinning in the story, but not feeling fully in our body. And that's how you know, if you're feeling it, truly feeling it, it's going to move through your body and something else is going to come. Wow. So it's interesting because the way that you're describing your experience and then how it works is that you were feeling grief, but you weren't feeling the depths of it. You were you were buffering against because it's painful to not. I was have protecting to myself from feeling deeper, and I didn't know it. Right, I didn't realize that. So when I'm saying that, right, this is just um, again, again, another lesson that that just came in after many years of doing this work. So I, there's no such thing as oh healed or like I got this. It's, it's about being real with your experience. There's no judgment. There's a ton of compassion. We have all sorts of shit happen. We're human. And, uh, it's complicated. And sometimes, yeah. And that some of these things are overwhelming. So we're going to protect ourselves from feeling that deeply. And we need support to have more safety so that we can feel in touch. We can have that capacity to be with the emotion. And sometimes 
on our own, it's not going to work. We need the partnership of a human, of an animal, of a village. <laughs> yeah, collective. Yeah, of a collective. Well, let me ask you, is pleasure just for the privileged? Mm. It's so big, right? I, I was reflecting a lot because, you know, it came up in our conversations. I was reflecting a lot on many ways of answering this question. And an experience came up in my memory that I had in Brazil where we went off the beaten track um, and we stayed at this little fishing village where people really didn't have much. They had a teeny tiny bit of land, like really like a garden where they would grow a couple of things and they fished. And I didn't see anybody wearing shoes, right? Like very little possessions. And my huge culture shock was not about, oh my gosh, people are so poor, they don't have much. My huge culture shock was about how fucking happy people were. I have never seen people so happy ever. Just laughing, relaxed, in their pleasure, happy, 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 connected. That was my biggest culture shock. I'm like, oh my gosh, here we come from the United States with like all these resources, all this privilege, but we are so also distant from fully feeling, fully feeling that joy, that uh, laughing with abandon and dancing barefoot. Mm -hmm. So, so many ways to answer this question. And yes, like when we're doing this trauma healing work, it is a privilege and it is a reflection of privilege to be able to do this work because thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs in this culture, right? You gotta, you gotta have the basics. You gotta have the roof over your head. You gotta have the basics handle. You gotta have the food. You gotta have, because if you don't, the level of stress is going to be so high in the system, it's going to be really hard to do healing work. I have a question for you, and I don't know if it's a question or just a comment, but um, I have a friend, a college friend, Tanya, who is an amazing photojournalist, and she made a photo book, um, and she's Palestinian, um, born and raised in Texas, has lived in Jordan, maybe she's Jordanian, sorry, but she's done a lot of work in like Gaza Strip and she did this photo book showing these simple pleasures of life because one of the things I think she wanted to share was you can think of like the Gaza Strip and feel sorry for the people that are going through their lives being terrorized and being bombed and not ever feeling safety and yet there's this photo of kids just using a mattress outside as a trampoline, jumping up and just laughing, you know, with joy. And the whole book is about these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was really interesting because I think part of her, well, I guess what I got it, you know, that's how art works, right? What do you get out of it? And for me, it's like, it's complicated, you know, and people do naturally find pleasure even in the 
hardest of scenarios because yeah. I think it's human nature to mm-hmm. survive and to try to thrive no matter the circumstance. So I thought that was kind of cool in the sense of, you know, I don't, first of all, I guess you have to find some inner sense of safety in a war zone because you can't live at a constant state of, you know, complete, complete stress. Although I can't even imagine how stressful it is, but I, I guess I wanted to share that and kind of get your take on that. It's beautiful. It gave me chills. I'm also reflecting on human resilience and how our baseline resets. Yeah, living in the war zone, like we would have, humans would have to develop a different baseline for stress and, uh, you know, and find safety because otherwise, like, how, how can one function and survive? We have to find, carve out those islands of safety. Yeah, there's so much we can learn from each other and from having different experiences. Um, mm, it's so easy to get sucked into mm, when, when we're just in our own experience, right? In our own experience, we're like, oh my gosh, this sucks and this sucks. How can I have pleasure? Because this is not going my way and I feel so stuck. Um, and yeah, there's always, there's always, yeah, the simple pleasures of life can be found. But I also find that we need to get unstuck sometimes by exposing ourselves to different experiences and hanging out with different people and hearing different stories and seeing different pictures and just like getting out of that stagnation of um, the system just kind of self-referencing and that's all right there is. And our, our culture very sadly is promoting survival, promoting stress all the time and numbing as the only way of dealing with it. Drugs, alcohol, TV, food, drugs, alcohol. It's all about us numbing, 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 entertainment, um, social media, right? On the one hand, a lot of stress and fear is constantly cultivated through all these channels. And on the other hand, here is all everything that's being promoted is to help humans numb and feel less. Ah, and the more all of the stress is promoted, the more the human need is to numb because we need to cope. And there are different ways to cope. I guess that that's that's what I'm saying. So I'm not saying, oh, don't numb. That's not at all what I'm saying. Right. We, we have to numb. Right. We have to numb. And everybody numbs in their own ways. And it's it's vital. It's how we survive. Yeah. And little by little, introduce ways of being, ways of feeling, right? Little by little. Maybe it's with your pet. Maybe it's with a tree that you resource. You, you step out into nature. Maybe it's lying down on the earth, right? Maybe it's, you know, putting your hands in, in, in the dirt, putting your feet in the sand, whatever you have available to you and just breathing. And yeah. I was going to say that um, both nature in general, 
I, I think does it for humans. You know, uh, we tend to in modern societies think of ourselves as separate from nature and not the same as the whole ecosystem. But then for me, horses, you know, just take it to that next level because you have to be so present with these giant creatures. And I just really do think that they're magical, almost mythical in a sense of just helping us connect and remember and heal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a question about patriarchy. Hmm. Does patriarchy only affect women? Yeah, it affects everyone across the gender spectrum. And it affects us all differently. There is always, like all of us have privilege and all of us have experiences of oppression, right? And for for those, well, speaking about patriarchy and it's a, it's a system where the power has been in, in the hands of white men mm. um, for a very long time. And it's the intersection of racism and patriarchy here. So, uh, and the cost of that power has been really high. The, the, the cost of membership in club patriarchy has been really high. Men have been, forced to um first of all of course everybody has been forced into gender binary and the roles that come with um, that assignment that patriarchy has defined and also for men it has been prohibition on emotions mm-hmm. and don't cry um the only emotions allowed to men are on the spectrum of anger mm-hmm. yeah and it has been hugely traumatic, yeah. disconnecting disconnecting men from their nature, as it has been disconnecting people across uh, the gender spectrum. Everybody um, has been experiencing it in different ways, and it's so important to approach it with compassion. It's not about blaming. It's not about finding fault with anyone. It's about an honest look, as honest as we can bear. Of a system. Um, yeah, and, and where and where we are, um, we are in a place of privilege and where we are in a place of oppression, not to shame ourselves or others. But to or to really compare, is it is it less about comparing to if, who has more oppression, who has more privilege? I mean, yeah. I, I don't think, know. I think trauma is um, is as a human experience, if you're human, you have trauma. And it's also not about comparing like who has more trauma, who has less trauma. Mm-hmm. It is a, a, it's kind of a paradox. On the one hand, we want to be really clear that, you know, the intergenerational trauma of genocide and uh, racism and like all the horrors of uh, like slavery, right? Like it's, it's, these are really profound experiences and maybe like the trauma of, you know, 
like being being ridiculed right like in kindergarten like kids laughed at you or like it, it seems like it's, it seems so minor and here is the paradox yes we need to acknowledge the, 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 the different traumatic experiences and the different severity on the scale and at the same time no trauma is small enough not to warrant attention mm. and, and everybody has the right to for, for these experiences to be acknowledged and healed it's not a competition yeah so um so and this is this is a big message behind the work that we're doing helping people uncover intersectional trauma trauma across different layers of oppression which we all have right and just because we also have privilege that does not um it does not cancel out trauma. Yeah. It's about using the privilege that we have to, to, to step into healing and to support others in stepping into their own healing. And the more we create freedom within ourselves, freedom and awareness, the more we dismantle these systems from within. Right. For, I just want to say, Thank yeah. you for saying that because the all the work that I'm focused on now is this intersection of purpose and pleasure. Mm. Because, you know, and I'm really focusing on leaders, people who are just committed to be better leaders, to do things differently, to dismantle racism and sexism and patriarchy and all these oppressive systems. And in order to really do that work, not only do we have to do our own work, but I also really believe we have to find these pleasures and joy and give back to recharge ourselves so we can go and do more work. So I think that is what you just said was just like so perfect to really call on people uh, that do what that have the privilege to be able to. Um, do this type of work and have access to this type of work to do more. It's um, yes, right. Yes. And I want to bring to um, to everyone's um, awareness and attention that pretty much all of us have more privilege than our mothers, grandmothers, great grandmothers. We stand on their shoulders. We stand on the shoulders of those who fought for civil rights, for women's rights. And we owe it to them. We owe it to them to use the privilege and the freedom that we have and the awareness and the discoveries of science that we've had over the past couple of decades where we learned that traumatic experiences are genetically transmitted, where we learned about the tools to rewire our nervous system and heal trauma. We owe it to our lineages to step into healing. Just as we know from epigenetics that trauma is genetically transmitted, we also know that healing is genetically transmitted and we can interrupt the cycle of transmission of trauma in just one generation. So it's our job. This is, to me, one of the highest uses of our power, our privilege, and everything our ancestors worked and sacrificed for. Beautiful. And from... 
what many indigenous traditions hold as as truth, right, is that there's that seven generations impact that goes in both directions. Our ancestors benefit and those who will come after us benefit from the healing work that we're doing. Mm. So, yeah, even if it seems like, oh, it's so frivolous. Why frivolous? Why are we talking about pleasure? How is that important? We're living in the world where there's so much suffering. Well, what if your reclamation of your freedom, of your pleasure, of the full spectrum of your emotions, as we've established, are necessary? <laughs> you know, um, what if what if we are benefiting something larger than just ourselves. And what if that too is a paradox? What if your life matters and the collective matters and that goes hand in hand, right? Beautiful. And emotions are contagious, right? So if we are living a life of pleasure and joy and really um, choosing to explore those, then it impacts other people around us. I've been asking when I did that joy exercise with um, people recently. And I asked them about, you know, would their memory of joy that they recalled, how long did it last? And with some, you know, they were talking about, you know, there's joy like you were talking about that, that is short lived. And then some that they would say, Oh, you know, when I got home from work, it lasts all the way to drive home. When I got home from work that whole evening, I was in a great mood. And somebody else was talking about having a joyful experience and then going to a meeting and, you know, being so uplifted. And I was like, yeah, imagine, you know, if every meeting instead of was, okay, guys, you know, what's on the agenda today? And we need to do this and we need to be better at this and blah, blah, blah. If it was more like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to see you all today. You know, I've been looking forward to this meeting. I'm looking forward to all your ideas. We have a lot to cover today and we're going to get it done quickly and get you back your time. Um, looking forward to everyone contributing their best work, blah, 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 blah. Like just even that um, one shift in pro- approach and tone can reshape the meeting, can reshape everybody's day that leaves the meeting. It's so big. And I just want to mention that we are not talking about toxic positivity here. We're not talking Thank about, you. oh yeah, always be positive, good vibes only, because that is suppression. That is repressing how you truly feel. True access to joy is only available when we also have true access to all the whole spectrum of our emotions, right? And and just conversely to, to what you're saying, yeah, there are also experiences where somebody um and one encounter can kill that um that experience that inter- can interrupt that joy. There's a story that I share in my book um shared by um, a woman who is also doing beautiful work in the world, Bernadette Pleasant. She's a black woman and she was recounting her experience, um, as a, as a little girl. She was, she, um, had an unexpected win. She ran for class president and won. 
like against all odds, running against the most popular white girl. She was just bursting with joy. She flew home. She was skipping and running. She came in, in the door with this huge joy. But the moment she came in, she felt with every cell of her being that there was no room for her joy. Her mom suffered from depression and she was not having a good day. And so she suppressed all this joy. And when her mom asked her how her day was, she said, it was good. And I'm, as I'm telling the story, I have huge chills. We don't think about trauma um, as our experiences of joy and pleasure never given space. And for us to have space for our experiences of joy and pleasure, we need to cultivate our own capacity. And that will allow us to have that capacity for others' experiences of everything, of anger, of, of tears, of sadness, of pleasure, of fear, of joy. And this is a great service. It, it is a great service we, we can, as parents, this is the greatest service I, I feel we can offer to our children, have capacity for, for this full, full spectrum of their emotions and for ourselves and our own children. So this is, this is the, the, the core of this healing, healing work that we do uncovering and healing layers of trauma. Thank you so much for sharing that and everything that you've shared today, Valerie. You know, you and I always have such quality conversations. I always leave our conversations so inspired and connected and just better than I was before. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to thank you, Gretchen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find you? DrValerie.com, D-R-V-A-L-E-R-I-E.com forward slash book. You can download the first chapter of the book on audio and PDF. And if you like it, also purchase the book on that page. And speaking of collective healing, I'm convinced that collective trauma, such as PSD and other traumas that we have gone through as a human collective, requires collective healing. And a couple of times a year, we gather for a virtual retreat called The Thriving Experience. So you can learn more at thethrivingexperience.com. Tickets start at free. And we, we just, our big, big uh, intention for this retreat, and we've been, we've done about 10 already. We've been like, <laughs> um, we've been going deeper and deeper with each one. And from each retreat, our favorite feedback is that women have re- felt really safe and really connected and really met in this community. And they felt like they could really show up authentically and feel and be and tap into a greater resource, a greater capacity through this community to feel the true feelings and also learn the tools, how to work with our nervous system and keep on increasing our capacity for pleasure, joy, and everything else and our desires. Mm, I love it. Well, thank you again for coming. And I definitely recommend connecting with Valerie. It is um, 
worth it. What an amazing woman you are and friend and inspiration. So keep doing all your great work. I can right back at you. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon. 